You're watching Tech Talk, affiliation with Tech for Techs. We're a community that supports independent trade with the help of vendors and distributors. We're live every Thursday at 8 p.m. London time and we'll be streaming to Facebook and YouTube, Twitter and Twitch. You can listen to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, Google, TuneIn and many more. And now, the moment you've been waiting for, and your host, Philip Griffiths. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Tech for Tech Tech Talk. This is episode 13, Retro Night. If you have any thoughts or questions on this topic, please feel free to comment in the comment section. If you're watching from Facebook group, please click the link in the chat, which I'm going to post just in a second, and that will allow your name to be displayed on the actual live stream. Again, click that link to give Facebook permission. And again, that's just for people in the Facebook group. Today we are joined by Ben Ashcroft from Bugs and Bytes Computing in Lincoln, Ian Harden from IPC Solutions in Essex. We've got Peter Whitehouse from Scan Station Computers in Bognor Regis. We've also got Robert McKendrick from Inverness Computer Center in, believe it or not, Inverness. We've also got Sharon Richards from Eurosoft, and that's the guys that make PC check, if you're not sure. And we've also got Jason Henrik as well on the show, who will be telling us about uh, the Retro Computer Museum and so forth in a few minutes as well. First of all, if you can hear us, please comment in the comment section. Let us know you can hear us and so forth. Uh, otherwise, well, we could be just talking to a blank screen, all we know. Uh, again, if you do want to get your name to show, make sure you click that link in the chat screen. Um, that way, we'll be able to see your name on the screen. Right. If you want to let us know where you are as well in the world, what company you're viewing and so forth from. So let's just say your name's Bob and you're at uh, Bob's Computers. Let us know and we'll give you a shout out. Right. So first off, let's start off with the introductions. So let's start with Ben. Uh, would you like to introduce yourself? Let us know who you are, what you do, where you're from, and any tips and advice or story to tell us this week. Hi, Phil. Yeah, so I'm uh, Ben Ashcroft. I run Bugs and Bytes Computing in Lincoln. Um, it's been a busy week, very busy at the moment. Uh, a bit of a tech tip. So, I phoned me earlier today. Uh, they've got a password on their, I think, their 2015 Apple iMac. Um, I haven't used the machine in a while, it's obviously done an update and it's set the password by itself. It's not related to any passwords that you've had on the system itself. Um, very useful, but nonetheless it was there. Um, I thought it was going to be a complete case of wipe the drive and reinstall it, but thanks to the guys on Tech Protects, I found out a very useful tip, which is you can boot the Mac using Command and R to go into the recovery mode and enter into the terminal and remove the password that way with a few different commands. So save time to reinstall the whole machine and charge the customer for email. He was quite happy and I'm quite happy because he's happy. Okay, that sounds pretty good. Thank you for that, Ben. Uh, next on to Ian. If you want to tell us a bit about yourself, tell us who you are, where you work, and also any tips, news, advice, or stories. 
Hi, my name's Ian Harden. I run IPC Solutions in Hapri Genetics. Um, tips. Um, I buy an awful lot of uh, tech items from auction, um, good and bad, um, and a fair amount of the stuff that you do buy is unfortunately not working. Um, and I recently had a massive order that, that came in with motherboards, power supply units, etc. Um, and I thought 80% of it was bust. Um, however, when I usually disposed of it, I decided this time to keep the modular cables from the power supply units. Um, and they in fact sold singly, separately for more than what the units actually cost originally, uh, which was nice. So my tip would be to keep the modular cables and sell them separately on eBay because they go anywhere between 10 and 20 pound a piece, which if you have a EVGA one, for example, Supernova, they have about 15 cables in, which is lovely. Um, and sell all the ones that don't work on eBay. Just I, I put all the rest of them on there and made just as much as I paid the auction back for them. So um, there are some experts out there that repair them. So uh, yeah, nothing goes to waste and you get your money back to a degree. That sounds pretty good. Well, I'm going to say at that rate, you might as well just go and sell your uh, uh, all the parts in your power supply rather than using the power supply. But yeah, that's pretty good. Right, let's just go through some of the comments before we go first. Uh, yes, you did make it tonight, Richard Creedy. Uh, let's have a look. Uh, Timothy says he can see and hear us. Richard Overfield is evening all. I can hear and see perfectly on YouTube. Thank you. And who we got here, Richard Creedy. Yes, he can see us. And Cormac as well. Hi, Cormac. Uh, if you don't know who Cormac is, he's also known as the Chicken Man. So <laughs> Mark Dennis is loud and clear. So everyone seems to be able to hear us. And JM Gamer 999 Right. So first question. Let's have a look. Why is a good-looking Irish guy not on the show? Uh, was he too young to talk retro no sorry Colmack. i think it had something to do with him about breaking his webcam because it sort of um had that mirror effect and it shattered when you looked into it <laughs> right okay timothy says hello uh who says can't hear you okay good good idea to turn your phone off and on again uh, let's have a look and um, we've got mark here from rayleigh computer shop essex RL Supplies in Watford as well. That's Richard. You've got Paul as well from Neo Computers. As we can see, we've got quite a few people in tonight viewing. Uh, I found this to Ian. I've no idea what that means, Timothy, but okay. Uh, broken laptop parts worth more at times. Yeah, I agree, Timothy. Uh, <coughs> and, uh, Dave says evening all. So let's go back on to the next person on our list. So, Peter, if you want to introduce yourself, tell everyone who you are, what you do, and give us some news or advice or a story. Thanks, Phil. I'm Peter from ScanStation Computers. We're based just outside of Bognor Regis in West Sussex. We do repairs from our retail store. We sell new computers, and we also do managed services to businesses. Um, my tip this week, uh, if we go on the retro theme, is actually a YouTube channel, one of my favourites. Uh, it's called RMC The Cave. Uh, it used to be called Retro Man Cave, but it's, it's now RMC The Cave. Um, it's really well presented. It's very sort of slow going, well explained. The, the presentation's fantastic. And if you've got any interest in computing, um, all different 
retro computers, Spectrum, Commodore, everything, go and check out RMC The Cave. It's, it's one of my favorite YouTube channels. Okay, that sounds pretty good. I'll have to check that channel out later, I think. Uh, Scorpion Computer says uh, hello, and they're in uh, northeast England. They're called Facebook User. Uh, if you want to click that link I put in chat, um, Mr. Facebook User, then we'll be able to actually see what your name is. And also, we've got Dave saying evening from Ping Zone PCs in Portsmouth. Right, next up, Robert, if you want to introduce yourself and let everyone know who you are, what you do, and if you've got a story or a tip for us tonight. Evening all. Uh, Robert McKendrick from Inverness Computer Centre. Uh, Inverness Computer Centre started in 1986, so we've done all the old stuff, and uh, that's really relevant tonight. Uh, doing all the sort of current stuff that you'd expect us to do, service repairs, sales. My tip is uh, pretty obvious as regards the current market conditions and obtaining stock, and that is basically my experience recently is buy as much stock as you possibly can. Even the odd stuff is selling. If you've got something, it will sell. One of the, the big disties kind of gave me this tip over the phone six, eight, ten weeks ago. I felt, to be honest, through lockdown, I've just been buying as much stock as I can, and if you've got it, you'll sell it and keep the till ringing. That's my tip. That's a pretty good tip there. Thank you very much for that. Uh, let's move on. So next person on our list is going to be Sharon. So Sharon, if you want to introduce us to yourself and tell us a bit about yourself and obviously give us a tip or a story on news, uh, feel free. Okay. I'll try not to stay with the uh, the retro dream too much. Um I'm Sharon Richards. I'm from Eurosoft UK Limited, um, one of the directors. And um, my forte is making sure that the PC check diagnostic products get into the hands of all kinds of repair people. PC hardware. I think my tip, um, which is kind of interesting, is along the, the line of that, um, what was just said about buying up all this computer equipment. And um, we've been finding that too from our customers, refurbishers um, particularly. And um, I'm hearing that, sorry guys, that you can't hear me too well. Beg your pardon about that, but try and talk a little bit closer. Anyways, um, the news, the recent news went from CompTIA and also from HPE is that um, there is an increase in field techs and they're opening back up uh, direct access to IT um, in-house. So that also means that there's going to be, you know, more people in need of equipment and of course our tools, which is great for me. Um, but that's, yeah, that's what's, that's what's going on. And I have a little, a little deeper intro later on, if I get that, get that chance that my own, my own, uh, start with in the in the retro area but we'll wait for that so thanks very much guys thank you for that sharon right next up we have got let's have a look who am i missing oh yes jason so jason's with us today and if you would like to introduce yourself jason and tell us a bit about yourself what you do uh, and if you've got any tips or stories or advice feel free to let us know 
Right, well, thank you, and uh, nice to be with you today. Um, yeah, I am Jason Herrick. I am part of the Pixel Fix podcast, which deals with all things retro. Um, and also, I help out at the Retro Computer Museum in Leicester. Um, so that keeps me quite busy. Um, I am somehow retired, um, unfortunately, not through a good thing, through ill health, unfortunately. But uh, I do help people with computers and modern stuff as well. Um, so one of my little tips that I would like to give is where people have maybe used a home telephone for approving their Microsoft account. Microsoft have now decided this isn't suitable. So they can't contact you back and call you back on your home phone, which they used to do. Um, so get it updated and get a mobile number put in there for your security info as soon as you can. That's a that's a brilliant tip. That is, uh, I must admit, I didn't know that one about the um, the home numbers. So I'll definitely uh, be watching out for that yeah. one. <laughs> what happens if someone hasn't got a mobile phone? Well, that's a problem that I'm coming up with actually on a few customers. Uh, you know, I help really people in our village where we live, and uh, especially the older population have not got mobile phones, and then we're ending up in this loop that Microsoft can't confirm who they are, so you can't yeah. get in to alter anything. And because of that, I think the long run, I've, I've recommended someone we leave it a, a month because that seems to be how long they take to reset various bits at Microsoft. We try again. And if that's unsuccessful, we're going to unfortunately have to probably start again and create a new email address and new Microsoft account for these people. So not yeah, looking too cool. good at the moment. Hmm. And that causes lots of problems as well when people have to set it up with all the different accounts yes. and everything like that. Yeah, no, I know that one too well. <laughs> right. Okay. So first of all, I'll go through my tips. So, right. So first of all, Intel has reconfirmed that its new 11,000 series chips, yeah, it's a strange name uh, will be launched on march the 30th and what's the bet there'll be no stock uh amd has also announced uh well they announced that they were announcing the 6700 xt graphics card and at that announcement they announced it will be available to buy from the 18th of march and i'm now announcing i bet there'll be no stock uh yeah. i think the problem is yeah. with graphics cards or anything stock no chance so Right, let's have a quick look at some of the comments coming in. So we've got quite a bit coming in at the moment. So let's have a look. So who was the last one to speak? Here we go. Um, okay, apparently we've got to ask Pete about Monkey Island or XCOM. He loves talking about it. I'm not a Monkey, fan, Monkey Island fan myself, but I do love my XCOM. I must admit. <laughs> can do Monkey Island one speed run off off top of my head. <laughs> oh dear! Next you'll be telling me you do it blindfolded. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, so let's have a look. Um, we've got uh, Philippe Rogers. Good evening. Hope everyone's well and keeping safe. Yes, we're fine here. Thank you. Uh, and uh, I know the answer to this one. Paul is asking, is that yes. cannon fodder? It is. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> he has got cannon 
cannon fodder on there. So let's have a look. Richard Overfield. I wasn't aware there was a retro computer mu museum in Leicester. We'll have to come and take a look when my son's back at uni. So there you go. So, yeah, yeah I've had a look at the website. Let's put the website address back up as well for you. So there you go. So if you want to look it up, you can do there. So also we've got... Here we go. Timothy post lockdown and um, dragging the family to the retro museum as well. Looks like retro museum is going to be really full after lockdown. <laughs> yes, sir. we're looking forward to that, but obviously we're not sure when we can open as yet. So obviously keep looking, and uh, we also have a page on Facebook which people can find out more up to date for information on us. Yeah, I bet it's a strange so, one for yeah. you guys. You're not really a retail store. You're quite more of a well a museum, I suppose, which is going to be like a pub public one, isn't it? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think if I can just give you a quick, the, the word museums is actually quite interesting because obviously we deal with older bits of kit, um, but people come in quite often and they, they, they're expecting a museum. You know, it's like you walk up, you read a bit of information about something behind glass and that's it. No, all of our bits of, of computers, hardware, everything is available to touch, to play on. We can put different games on for people. We've got a software library with, something like 40,000 titles, a, a huge library. Um, we've got magazines and articles from people, you know, all the various magazines over time. So lots and lots of different things. Um, so a great day out for people who have got an interest in anything of computers. Mm, I definitely have to make a visit up there after lockdown, that's for sure. I think I'm willing to go anywhere at the moment, to be honest, the amount we're being locked in, but definitely definitely interests me, that one, so I'll have to pop up one of the days. Right, and uh, Richard Creedy said he wasn't aware of that either. That's about the Microsoft. Uh, should have at least uh, let the partners know about it. Uh, yeah, I agree with that, Richard, but yeah. then again, when has Microsoft ever been good at telling anyone anything? Um I'll let you figure that one out yourself. Right. Okay. So let's go on to the main show topic. If you haven't figured it out, it's retro nights, which basically means we're going to be looking at old stuff. And I don't mean the guests who are on the show. We're talking about their actual computers or talking about their computers. So let's start off going around the table. So let's start off with Robert. So, Robert, if you want to give us some story or information about retro or something you've done in the past, which was retro yeah absolutely uh well we're going back to 1986 is when we kicked off and uh i've actually got my original business card so i'll see if you can bring it up to the screen and you can see what we used to sell and that was commodores t16s and vic 20s and all sorts of weird and wonderful stuff all cassette based and uh very interesting times, the height of computer piracy. I, I, of course, was a customer before I had a computer business, so I knew how to copy all the games and I knew all the dodges. So <laughs> when we actually opened the shop or took over this business that we, we, we've obviously brought forward, I, I kind of knew all the dodges that the young guys would be doing, tape copying and things like that. So... It, it was good being the same age as your customers, so lots of good memories dealing with people like LeisureSoft, CenterSoft, going down to the computer show in London as a 16-year-old boy was a seriously big deal. Football Manager was the big game. 
things moved on and this thing called the hard drive eventually became available and it cost 400 pounds and we couldn't afford to sell them because nobody did that amount of money which was true story uh, we eventually got our arm twisted and this commodore wholesaler made us take one and uh, thereafter the commodore suppliers like silica uh, zcl they would annually take us on holiday to some amazing places for selling so much kit. We ended up in Barbados, Monaco, various places. So I, I was a very fortunate person to be involved in industry back then. And then we moved on to uh, Amstrad's, did really well out of Amstrad. And uh, that's our story. I've got a wee video to share with you of the launch of a... Uh, Sonic the Hedgehog, or maybe Sonic 2 in 1993. So if you want a wee bit of a laugh, I can take you back to 1993 and we'll uh, show you what happened back then. Phil, can, uh, Phil and I will get this organised right now. So It was on a second ago. There we go. And that's a Scottish Sonic. <laughs> and this is an open day that we had on launch day and uh, it, it was quite an amazing occasion and uh, you'll see a lot of the products which uh, we had really quite a good shop at the time and uh, it, we had this amazing prize draw which you can see how successful the whole day was and we ended up uh, giving away bits and pieces and we had to call the police in for crowd control because there was that many people outside so yeah that's me with the ginger heart and santa claus is there so well anyway that's enough from me whatever you guys uh it was quite a quite an experience back then yeah so, it was pretty good to be honest with you uh don't you wish that uh, our distributors, Hint Hint, Target, CMS, VIP, Spire, everyone else out there, instead of having open days, took us all to Barbados for a week? <laughs> that would be amazing. Well, that's hint, hint. sorry for interrupting back in. Going to Bradford now is the highlight. And the last few years I've managed to go, most, met some most amazing people, really nice people, and it's been good. So, Bahamas, Barbados, Bradford, Bradford it is now. That's pretty good. You might want to pause that video, uh, Robert. We can hear it still playing in the background. Okay, I'll get you out of that. Okay, no problem. That's no problem. Right. Okay, so let's have a look at some of the comments in the chat. So, uh, let's have a look. A lot of stuff about the retro comment stuff. Um, Zelda links awaiting. Mm. There we go. Let's have a look. Who remembers Watford Electronics? My first Saturday job was programming the DFS disk filing system. ROMs and putting the kits together with the Intel 8271 floppy disk controller for the BBCs. Yeah. Wow. I remember of Watford Electronics. Don't remember yeah, much about it. So, but yeah, the BBC, believe it or not, or the BBC Micro, I think was probably the first computer I actually used, which was uh, 
Oh, playing what? Chucky Egg and the original Elite on it and stuff like that, I think, if I remember right. Uh, before upgraded to the Amiga 500. Right. Uh, Robert, you're... not me. Well, I've muted him anyway, and it stopped. So <laughs> I'll turn him back on in a minute. Uh, so, right, okay, so let's... Uh, let's um, go on to Peter. Okay, Peter, what have you uh, uh, got for us about retro? Um, so I suppose what got me into computing, my earliest memories, are similar to yourself, as being an 80s child, we had these BBC micros at primary school. I think it was maybe one per class. So everyone would be huddled around and we'd be playing something like Granny's Garden. Um, or we'd have the plug-in turtle. It was like a translucent dome that it would hook into Dart and you could uh, program it to move around the floor. Um, so you'd be like forward 50, um, right 90, and you had pen up and pen down. And there was a pen inside that could draw on the floor. Um, and we even, even when I left secondary school, they still had BBC micros in science lessons with temperature probes and things. And then the family computer, we had an Amiga 500. That was what really got me hooked. Um, stayed with Amigas for many, many years after that. Uh, had an Amiga 1200, it, it fitted in a PC tower, power PC processor in there, VGA graphics card, high resolution, had all that stuff. Uh, really regret getting rid of it now, looking how much they cost online now. But th those are some of my earliest memories, I suppose, being, a, being an 80s child. Yeah, some good memories there by the sound of it. Um, Granny's Garden. Wow. Yeah, I remember, I remember some of these school computers. I can't even remember half of the names of the stuff, what they used to have on them, but there was some uh, very interesting stuff for its uh, day, that's for sure. I remember history used to have one where you used to build castles or something. I can't remember that was, what that was yeah. called. But, uh, but, yes, definitely some interesting stuff there. Let's move over to Ian then. Ian, if you want to tell us a bit about what um, – well, about basically what you've uh, been involved retro-wise, what you've done in the past, what you currently do, and stuff like that. Yeah, certainly. Uh, very much um, like Pete, really. My first experience of a computer was in primary school. Um, we, we had the BBC Micro, and we had one per classroom. But we were never allowed to play on it for games purposes. We had to use it for designing um, moving pictures, which you put rows and rows and rows and rows of text, and then the balloon would go across the screen, and then you'd all go, yay, done it, programmed the computer. Um, for me, really, it was when I was about 14, and we got a Commodore 64 for Christmas. Um, I'd never really been into sort of gaming much, really, um, before that time, and then I was just hooked, um, absolutely. Some of my fondest memories, playing C64 with my mates. Um, Bubble Bobble, I think, was the biggest game I played and still one of my favourites to this day. Um, and I've owned it on all formats that I've had since the C64. I was never lucky enough to get the Amiga. I always wanted to get the Amiga um, to play Speedball, really. Although I, I did get Speedball 2 on the uh, C64 and hammered that to death. But, uh, yeah, I've, I've, I've had most consoles. I was thinking about the consoles that I've had and um i think after the c64 i around about 18 years old i was i had a genesis or a mega drive and a super nes uh, me and my brother had one of those each so it's always um there's certain games on one console that you played to death and like there's always street fighter 2 or um or zelda on the n6 on the snes 
they were some of the really good games and Secret of Mana series and uh, and I love those games on there. Um, and then it was just going through the. Uh, I, I love Sega, so I had the Saturn. Um, I had the Saturn, and then I had uh, the ones after that. I can't remember what they are now. Um, but I've had them all um, mainly, and all the Nintendos. I flit around from console to console, but I'm kind of like a PlayStation man now. But I, do, I am going to get um, my emulator on my Retro Pi up and running, so I can play all the C64 games again and all the other classics from PlayStation era and the Amiga, because there were some classic games on the Amiga. Cannon Fodder for one, and uh, that was great. Um, and Speedball. I, I, just, I, I feel the difference. When I play retro games, be it on RetroPie or some of the websites that you can play them on, um, I just think the gameplay is really good and probably better than some of the modern stuff because um, it was just focused on gameplay. The graphics were kind of a secondary thing with the old retro consoles and stuff. So they are very playable and and they were good for playing with mates as well. So yeah, they're, they're some of my memories. Yeah, I'm going to say uh, Speedball, that brings back some memories. I must admit it was one of the games I did like. Uh, remember, it was sort of the, the retro days, it's like a big improvement in a game was like, was it Sensible Soccer where they went from everyone having brown hair and then suddenly they brought out the new version and they had different colour hair and that wow. was the massive improvement in the game. I think I think it was Sensible Soccer if I remember right, but <laughs> I might be wrong. It's been that long ago. Ben will probably tell me otherwise, but... Uh, Right, let's move on to Sharon. So, Sharon, if you want to tell us a bit about your retro stuff or what you used to do, or even if you still do it now. Yeah, I'm on it. <laughs> so, can you hear me now? Is that a little bit better? Yes, that's a Hopefully. lot better. Thank goodness. Okay. So, um, talking to Ben Ashcroft earlier today, um, he kind of nudged me as to, you know, where I was from and what I was doing, and it came up that I used to work for Ward Software. And they were the BIOS people back in the day. So I got my, my feet wet and uh, learned a bit more about computers um, from about 1984, 85. Um, and I just had to bring this along to, to prove I was an honorary award software crew member. <laughs> I still have it from the day. Um, and I think what I want to kind of add, which I think is really cool, is that um, Eurosoft, back in 1986 was called um, Systems Constructors. And they were the representative for the award software BIOS. And interestingly, the um, Systems Constructors group originated the first postcard um, with the PC check diagnostics on it. So, I mean, that goes way back. And I can, I can remember, you know, hauling around trying to find parts to build this postcard for, um, for the award software development team all over the Silicon Valley, you know, collecting what I could here and there, um, Aladdin's caves, you know, wherever. Uh, and that, you know, that goes, that goes back quite a ways. So it isn't, you know, it isn't just the games because, you know, I can attest to, I think I was probably playing Pong was about all I ever got involved with with games. So I don't have that uh, that badge of honor, but certainly, you know, some of the originating basic input outputs, definitely. Yeah, more of a technical side there. I can hear someone typing really hard on the keyboard. Hang on one second. Let me just uh, see who that is. There we go. So, yeah. So uh, uh, what year was it you started in the tech industry, you say, Sharon? The year? Oh, it was like 1984, 85? 
85. Right, so specifically. Definitely pre pre predates me then by miles. That one does. So uh, uh, I think when was it I started? So first job I had in the tech industry would actually be late late nineties. Right. So unfortunately, I'm a sort of a group with the Windows side of things. 95, 98. Sorry to say it, Windows ME and so forth. So, uh, but yeah, I do remember the Metro uh, retro games and stuff like that. Even okay, I suppose it's slightly retro now. The PlayStation One, PlayStation Two. I actually worked for um, Sony for about two years in their development room. So they were so basically on the machines where they uh, created the games on, which was sort of like a cross between a PlayStation and a PC and stuff like that. But uh, well, what was everyone else's dates when they first started um, playing with computers, should we say, or working on computers? Does anyone predate Sharon? <laughs> Come on. Yeah. I, um, playing, Twitter, um, yeah, 1982 for me. Yes. <laughs> oh, there you go. So, uh -huh. we, uh, yeah, I borrowed a ZX81 from school over a weekend and filled up its 1K of memory. And that got returned. And then that Christmas, we got the ZX Spectrum as a family Christmas present that I think I took control of. So, yeah. <laughs> wow. 1K uh, in memory. That's... I can tell you a quick story about my uh, first Spectrum. Uh, mm -hmm. I, it was my birthday. I can't honestly say how old I was, perhaps 12 or 13. And uh, in September, I was handed my Spectrum computer and my parents are looking at me and smiling. And I said, where's the tape recorder? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, anyway, I went for breakfast and by six o'clock that night, they'd been down to Comets and we had to get a five pin DIN cable to two 3.5s made up and then I could play my games and I was quite happy. But that was serious oversight, no cassette recorder. Right, wow. Um, bringing up some memories there. So let's have a look in the chat. What year did everyone in the chat start in the tech industry or get the first computer or whatever? I think the first person to answer was Richard Creedy, 1983. So I think Jason still beats you there by a year. Anyone else? Let's have a look at some of the other comments coming in. Wow, there's a lot of comments here. Vic 20s. Anyone here remember a VIC-20? Straight to C64. That's where we went. Yeah. 86, uh, I think. Yeah, about 86 was my C64. And about 81, 82 was when I first played the BBC Micro in school. I remember the VIC-20s vaguely. Um, I remember my granddad having a Commodore Plus 4, which was... Oh, it was absolutely horrendous. And I'm a Commodore fan, as, as if you can't tell. Um, well, the C16 and the, the expensive one was the Plus 4, if I remember, yeah? yeah. One had a small memory, one had a larger one. I think the Plus 4 was a really cheap one that no one wanted, which is probably why my granddad bought one, because he didn't have anything. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Right, so we've got 
Facebook user, I don't know who you are, Facebook user, but 1981 was the date you started. Again, if you're on the Facebook group, you need to click that link what says chat.restream.io forward slash Facebook to give Facebook permission to put your name in the chat. But anyway, Facebook user, you're winning at the moment, whoever you may be. So quite a few people commenting on C64s as well, Amigas. ZX81's Dreamcast. God, I even forgot Dreamcast is it existed. Um, also, home Brilliant. Oh, Brilliant. Sorry. So I asked. The, is, that's the one I was trying to remember. The Dreamcast, probably one of the most best and underrated consoles ever released, in my opinion. Sometimes the best quality things are the sometimes the things what don't make it though, aren't they? It's like eight track and all that sort of thing. It was the better format, but uh, it probably just wasn't cheap enough for people or in the right market. But yeah, right. So I think Ben is next. So Ben, tell us a bit about your past or what you do now. Or well, I can see you've got plenty of things in front of you. What you're going to tell us about? I no doubt. Yeah, yeah, well, I've, I've been working in IT on and off the last sort of 19, 20 years. I, I know I don't look that old, but I am really. <laughs> <laughs> it's the camera, it makes me look younger. <laughs> um, yeah, I remember the BBC Micro when I was in primary school. They used to get wheeled in on this massive, great big trolley. And the trolley was probably about two, three times the weight of the bloody system, you know, it was a huge, big thing. Um, Granny's Garden, for sure, remember that. Um, there was another game you had to dig through the caves, and I can't remember what that was. Um, I think first got our first computer when I was about two or three years old, which would have been 1984, 1985. Uh, we started off the ZX81, um, moved on from that to the Commodore 64. That's the one I most remember. That sort of started my affinity with Commodore machines. Um, had an Amiga 1200 when I was sort of 12, 13 years old. Loved that to bits. We sold it, and I kind of always liked that machine. Which I sold it. Um, got back into them a few years later, and the prices started rising a bit. So kind of glad I got into it when I did, sort of thing. Um, lovely machines. It's it's a real pastime of mine now. Buying these old machines, restoring them up, selling them on. Sometimes sometimes keeping them on flights and then tinkering around with them. Just, uh, yeah, really, really nice. Nice little sort of nest egg investment and enjoy the software, that sort of thing, you know. That sounds pretty good. Right, let's go on then to Jason. So Jason's one of our newcomers tonight. You, can you give us uh, tell us a bit about yourself, when you started, what you do now with them and so forth? And then no doubt Ben's going to show off his stunt racer and Jason will probably show off his uh, um, cannon fodder in a few minutes. Uh, and no, that is no weird sayings or meanings. It's an actual game. Uh, right, okay. So Jason, if you want to... Uh, just run us through where you started them. Yeah, um, mine actually goes back even into probably 1978 when we visited a friend and I first played. Do you remember the old, very wooden looking machines where they had it? It was like two bats going up and down. So it was a pong, but you could actually swap it and play um, tennis, which was a very slight variation or squash. So there were about eight different games of moving bits about so that was my first introduction and i just absolutely loved this idea that you could control something that was coming out of the television you know because up until then television just threw things at you and you, you had no control over it so 
quite mind-blowing when I saw that. Um, so, yeah, then moving forward, got the ZX Spectrum, which I had and loved for many, many years. Um, moved on then to an Atari 800XL, which is great. Had a, the disk drive and the tape deck for that and learned all sorts of things for that. Um, then eventually moved on to the Amiga 500, then the 1200 and expanded all sorts of bits on that with extra accelerators and SCSI and various things. And then I got tempted over with Doom and various other things. And I started on my own track of building PCs and to fund my PC building habit and want all that new software and hardware and everything as it, you had to swap it every three months at that time. I, I ended up building my old ones and selling them on to work colleagues at cost. Um, so that basically kept me going all the way through for a while. And that uh, ended up with extra computer bits. So learned networking and very much taught myself and learnt all the way through from the beginning with up to date stuff. But I've kept all of my old um, retro computers. And since then, I've added um, or when I got married, my wife had an Acorn Electron, which we've got. I've picked up a Commodore 64, one of the original Xboxes, which is running behind me just over here. I also had a CD32, um, which is up here, and that's got a few additions to it. Um, and then I've added yeah, an Amiga 600, a CDTV, a Commodore CDTV, I should say. Um, I've got a Dreamcast, a Jaguar. Um, and basically, yeah, I just love all the retro stuff and just being able to play all the different games that I missed out on because I didn't have consoles when I had the Amiga. So that's basically my story. And where I am now, I'm having, yeah, having found the computer museum, the retro computer museum, I just love that. So, uh, and I'm sure anyone else who loves retro or the idea of it will love the place too. So. It sounds pretty good. I'm pretty sure we'll, we'll, we ought to do some sort of live show at the Retro Museum one of the days when uh, we can get out of lockdown and yes. do something along that. That would be pretty cool. Um, right, yeah, I'm going to say a lot of the games, the old games, a lot of people will say this, but I think a lot of them, because the graphics weren't as good, they put a lot more thought into the story or the mechanics of the games and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. And it's very rare I see yeah. a game these days which actually beats them in other than the graphics and some of the games are just well just look at cyberpunk it looks brilliant but it plays not very well let's put it that way <laughs> so uh, uh, but then again you've had issues with that all all through history some games are better than others i think one of the the worst games ever was it et if i remember right or something like that if i if i heard them made loads and loads of copies of it and they couldn't sell it or something and they dumped them all and so forth so um Let's have a look. Uh, let's quickly, have the, the, funny, the, the funny story on the ET one, they actually produced, I think it was twice as many cartridges as there were consoles about. <laughs> right. that's, a bad, so that's, that's a bad start. <laughs> yeah, so that's part of the reason they actually had so many left over. <laughs> Wow, I'm gonna say yeah. I'm gonna say that whoever was in charge of uh, um, the manufacturing or counting, uh, hopefully they got the sack. <laughs> right, let's have a look. Let's before we go on to the demonstrations of what you've got on your machines and stuff. How can these machines help? Let's say independent shops uh, through either repair or selling them or sourcing them. Um, who wants to go first here? I'm, I'm guessing I'm going for Ben because I can see him nodding his head. So Ben, tell us how 
obviously these retro things can help us today. Um, there's, there's, there's a good market. The, the, the values on retro stuff, particularly the Commodore market, is booming at the moment. I mean, the values just going up and up and up. You know, it's a good little market to get into. Um, you're never going to make a full-time business out of it, but as an extra sort of to your business, if you do sort of refurbishment work, that sort of thing, it's it's quite good, really, you know. Um, spares are fairly plentiful for them. Um, it's back in the days when lights your motherboards and expansion cards, or certainly the motherboards, could be repaired because the traces are a lot larger, um, that sort of thing. The parts are very available. Um, you just have to be very careful what you buy because... A lot of people, they take their old computers out of loft, they chuck them on eBay, and they haven't taken care of them. The biggest killer on these old machines, they all had the old-style um, nickel-hybrid batteries, which just leak and basically pour acid all over the boards on them, and it kills the machines off, and you get folk putting them on eBay and cash in, and you end up getting something totally different to what you expect when it arrives sort of thing. But, I mean, there's you can make money out of retro if you want to, out of restoring retro machines and selling them. I mean, some of the machines now have got sort of really good values on them. I mean, you've got like the Mega 1000, this one here. That's pretty standard, other than this four, four megabyte RAM expansion on the side. Um, you'll still get sort of between, I don't know, Jason, you might correct me if I'm wrong here, sort of 800 pounds maybe, 900 pounds, 1,000 pounds at a push for one of these. Yes, that sounds about right. Yeah, and then yeah. you've got like the Mega 1500s stock spec. You'll sort of spend four or five hundred pounds, maybe. Uh, put some upgrades like this one's got an accelerator upgrade with 28 megahertz, no less. Really on fire, that you know. Um, with all upgrades, again, you're probably looking about maybe a thousand pounds for it, sort of thing. It's I, I keep some for myself and I refurbish some myself. I'm not all about just making the money, I quite like them for the old games and stuff like that. I always wanted one of these big box Amigas when I was younger, but couldn't afford one. Not many people could because they were aimed at the professional market at the time. Very expensive. But these are the ones to go for, the big box machines rather than the wedge machines. So Okay, that sounds pretty good. Have you got anything to, you'd like to add in there, uh, Jason? Yeah, I, I think there's, there's just so many um, mixes of different computers and, and it depends very much what you grew up with doesn't it so it, i i like what ben says about the big box i think that's something you know we all aspired to having one of the big box amigas you know the the 1500 the 2000 3000s they were all fantastic machines but what we grew up with were the 500s and the 1200s so i think a lot of people will still want to grab those when they are um looking but as, as he said the problem is the prices on those are absolutely incredible <clears throat> You know, you can be spending three, four hundred quite easily on a twelve hundred if it's good condition, mm. um, and especially if you've got boxed ones, which you know I've I've ended up with mine, thankfully, which I kept from that time. But uh, yeah, trying to buy them and look after them and just knowing what you've got. So, in essence, with what they said about the batteries, in general, if you bought the original Amiga five hundred, you'd be very safe with that because it didn't have a uh, battery in it. Um, if you bought the 500 plus, that did, um, and then ongoing from there. So depends what age of computers you wanted to get into. Um, and of course, then for, you know, that's more the purist. And I think any of us will agree, if you can actually sit down and play on the original hardware, that is absolutely the best way to play. And it's got all the nostalgia and it's ticked all the boxes for you. Mm. But 
just to be able to play the games nowadays you can get something like a raspberry pi and run an emulator on it i'm not saying that's the best way but it's still it if you want if you've got a bit of an itch that you want to play those old games then that's also a way around it mm. it's, okay for sure it's different horses for courses you've got like i mean i'm very period correct with upgrades i do um I got like an accelerator car for this. I think it was the first accelerator released for these machines in 92. Um, I was very lucky I didn't pay the full price. I just came across it because I happened to find a pair of these machines going. Someone basically went rid of the machines, just having a clear out. Um, bought the two machines, basically sold one machine to Jason, took all accelerator expansions out of the second machine, put it into my own one. And that one sitting there as a spare repairs machine waiting to be refurbished fully. So it's um if you're going to get into the market and you want to do the upgrades try and buy a whole system with the upgrades already done because otherwise it gets really really expensive i mean the old hardware you've got stuff like the old uh hard drive expansion cards yeah you never used to, be able to plug them straight to the motherboard sort of 80 90 100 pounds for a ram and hard drive expansion card for something like this um accelerator cards you can be sort of three four hundred pounds upwards for a decent accelerator card for like box of Amiga or Amiga 500. Yeah, it can get expensive quite quickly. Um, I think the other thing to note as well, if you're getting into the sort of refurbishment market on these machines, as well as the batteries that like to leak, you've got the capacitors like to leak as well. Um, one of my other Amigas, it's a bit poorly at the moment. It's, uh, I've got my old CD32 Amiga with the rather rare SX1 expansion pack on it. Um, the caps have started to leak on that, unfortunately, so I need to get that sent away to get recapped because it's not in full working order at the moment. It does work, but joystick has a bit of a mind of its own, which is down to the caps, unfortunately. Can I ask you a question, Ben? Yeah, sure. Uh, if I said a Vic chip, what does that mean to you? Um, oh, we're, we're going a little bit past my my working life on, on retro now. Um, probably one of the chips inside the Vic, I would imagine, I guess. Cause I, I've just had a wee flashback I've got about 20 drawers full of Commodore spares. So, no advertising, but <laughs> <laughs> I think you might have a cat after the show tonight, Robert. Hmm. Yeah, I um, forgot about that lot. <laughs> if, if anyone's just to let you know, if anyone's interested in Jason's podcast, um, the information is on the screen in front of you. So Pixel Fix, you've got the address there. Uh, make sure you go subscribe and uh, have a listen to his shows. Obviously, he's going to be talking about, I'm guessing, uh, retro stuff on, is it a weekly basis, Jason? Yes, it is. Um, yeah, and if you can't don't want to find us on that website, you can also find Pixel Fix on iTunes or Spotify. So we tend to do a show and release it usually every Monday, but of course sometimes life gets in the way, so there can some occasionally be a slight delay in those coming out. Sounds pretty good. Right, let's move on to where would people buy these things from? Okay, I'm guessing we're not going to be able to buy them from Terra Computers or CMS or Target or anywhere like that. Then again, I've seen some of the places old stock, but uh, <laughs> uh, but I don't think they go back that retro. Um, so where where would we go, guys? So uh, anyone feel free to chip in. Yeah, I think certainly, uh, just jumping in quickly on the Amiga side of it, you've got a lot of the Amiga forums, um, you know, that, that are out there. 
um, Ami Bay and things like that. Um, you can so you can. There's a guy out there who makes a, an upgrade for the CD32 called the Terrible Fire. Um, I've added one to mine and it gave it 64 mega memory. Gave it a compact flash card. It gave the accelerator as well in there, so it's got an 030 accelerator. Really good, and they're still running at quite reasonable prices. You know, two to three hundred pounds, if that's classed as reasonable. Um, whereas if you try and buy an original one, they can be even more money than that. So and less features. So sometimes these bits are very good to add on. And so you've got the specialist sites and then you've got a lot of resellers and places. This is a basically a tape drive. For my Atari 800. Um, which is then a touch screen when it's plugged in and you can select and it runs with a micro SD card in the end. So all your games on that. Um, and again, that's something actually we now sell at the Retro Computer Museum to help get people with the hands on things. So, you know, if we at the Retro Computer Museum find something useful, we'll often take stock of some of them and try and sell those on as well. So occasionally we will have stuff, but um, yeah. And you know, you've got other people like, um, yeah, I've just seen something mentioned in our conversation, actually, the Checkmate cases. And that's somebody who's actually making new Amiga cases, which can then fit various things like a Raspberry Pi in there or even another, even a PC. But you can have it then in a, an Amiga inspired case. So, uh, yeah, lots of different things. And would you believe there is actually a new magazine that started coming out just a few months ago based around the Amiga imprint? And that one is the Amiga Addict magazine. Um, so that one, I think they're on issue three now, um, but that's coming out. And again, other people, if you want to um, follow, especially on Kickstarter, if you look for the retro stuff there, there are so many people doing books and, mag or books and magazines on the Amigas, on Spectrums, on various things. And of course, we've had the Spectrum Next, which went on Kickstarter and is you know, now sold out for a second run and going strong. Okay, that sounds pretty good. Have you got anything you want to add into that, Ben, or anyone else? Yeah, I, I think in terms of the purchasing, like what Jason said, you can go onto the forums and buy through the forums. Mm. A bit extra, but you more than likely get a better graded machine that's either had the recaps done, had the batteries taken out. So you'll get a better machine, you'll pay a bit more, but you'll save yourself a lot of hassle. Um, I've seen the terrible fire card, the accelerator that Jason uses, and I think it's great, but I'm also each their own. I'm very period correct, as I say. You know, I've got the original 540 meg hard drive in my uh, system, albeit it's a bit dicky at the moment. So, <laughs> um, But, yeah, just be careful what you buy in from where would be the best advice. There's a lot of good stuff still out there on eBay, but there's a lot of crap out there on eBay as well that yeah. people have either tried to repair and done a boss job of it or... Uh, haven't tried to repair it, just pulled it out of the loft after 20 years. Well, I, did find, I did find in 2019 actually there was an, especially in Essex and where I was going around um, the Essex district shopping and stuff, there was an awful lot of retro specific stores that, that sprung up. Um, a lot of them were really, really expensive, but some of them had some pretty good stuff in. Um, you, whether the consoles were any good or not, some of them looked, had the yellowing you got in the classic C64s, etc., and stuck in the loft. But um, yeah, I, I noticed a lot of those were springing up when retro seemed to have its renaissance um, for, the, for the sales front, I'd say between 2018, 2017, and 2019. But those have since gone. 
not due to COVID. They just kind of, sort of come come along and just disappeared again. But some of them had some pretty good stuff. But um, I think I think the prices of what they were charging for some of the stuff was really overpriced. If you compare it to like Amibay and eBay and and Amazon, yeah. sometimes you get stuff on Amazon and, and they were just too expensive for people to to want to buy them. Unless it was a spur of the moment thing. Like you go into some of the shops and it was only my missus that kind of stopped me from doing it where I was like, I'm going to have that 64. I'll have that Amiga. I'll have that other old PlayStation console. And I had the money. So I thought, oh, I'm just going to buy it. And then it was like, no, where are you going to put it all? But, you know, so it's, a lot of it is um, sort of on the cuff purchases I find when I go out to shops. But now I want to get, a C64 and I've got the space to have it even in my office and I have to hunt a good one out but like you say it's a lottery isn't it then especially on eBay I, I think if you're going to get into the retro market and refurbishing and buying them or just buying one for yourself I think the Commodore market's a great great market to be in because it's very very well supported whilst you've got markets like they ever say Atari anyway that's a swear word for Commodore users <laughs> um, the, the Amiga's just really really well supported you know, my chips and stuff for repairing or replacing chips like processors and stuff you can buy all the sockets if you need to resold or new sockets because of battery damage um people are still making new games for them now the upgrades are still being produced brand new you know it's the markets the, the value the market values are just going up and up and up um i think a couple of years ago you would have paid maybe 100, 130 quid for an amiga 1200 now you're up to three four hundred quid for a decent one um and as i say the big box amigas they're just jumping up shooting right up in value you know so. i think actually going back to where where we could buy them i think if we we're if you think about it we're quite in a perfect position um a lot of a lot of the guys on the tech text group have got shops um and like people like me and ben and others work from home in, a, in our office um but i think it would be a really good thing to get into to sell because you don't have to specifically focus on selling retro gear. You can just have it as an offshoot, especially if you've got an online shop um, a website where you sell your laptops and your computers and you can just have a retro bit and even have it as a like a almost like a blog post and on the right side of the screen. And people go, oh, I remember that. And sometimes nostalgia will allow them to press the buy button. Yeah. And, so I think that would be a good thing to do, actually. They're, they're great. They're, they're, relate, they're, they're, they're related, so... I mean, I mean, they're great. It's a great idea. The, the one sort of caveat I would say, if you're going to buy a retro machine, is particularly the big box machines, more so than the small ones, try and go and pick it up locally. Don't rely on postage because these machines were never built the best, the best build quality when they were new. Um, you look at stuff like the panel gaps and the floppy drive are far larger than you find on any normal PC or computer because they were just chopped rather than properly done. Um, I've taken this machine over to Jason. Jason just lives sort of five, six miles away from me. I've taken it over there and I've taken it back home again and I've had to reseat half the expansion cards because the hard drive sort of stops spinning or the RAM comes loose and it won't boot up properly because it's got a green screen or something like that, you know? So they're nice, don't get me wrong, but they're a bit quirky. And I think if you're going to get into the proper machine rather than going the emulation method, you've got to be prepared for the fact stuff will go wrong. and yeah. stuff doing but you get your value back if you ever sell a machine or if you want to sell them on you get a decent return i'll absolutely second that as well because i've had similar sorts of problems on the certainly the bigger machines i've had 
Um, whereas <coughs> you know, the, the consoles you can almost just pick up and take away with you. The big box ones need to pretty much stay where they are, not be moved. And even just moving it from the side to try and do a repair to then put it back, you can often disturb something, which oh. doesn't do a great advert for these machines. But, yeah, they, they are getting old and they do need a little bit of TLC and you've just got to be prepared to give it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's the thing to remember. They are, I mean, well, what we're looking at, we're looking about 30 odd years old for this and closer to sort of 33, 34 years old, you know, still running pretty well, all things considered, but not without their, their quirks. Yeah, there's probably viewers in this channel who are channel who are actually younger than these devices you're showing off at the moment. <laughs> um, I think Sharon has a question for Ben. If you want to go ahead, Sharon, and ask. Yeah, actually, um, I was wondering what these uh, retro PC enthusiasts, uh, PC broadly speaking, you know, are are testing the hardware with. Well, well, Sharon, I was waiting for Eurosoft to come out with a retro version of PC Tech, you know. Well, <laughs> I probably shouldn't say, I'm sure I'd get killed for this, but the uh, the lead, our lead engineer who actually developed the the majority of PC Check self boot, the original, and the PC Check UEFI, um, he's a mega enthusiast in a really big way. Um, oh, so they're, they're, that goes back, he loves them. And, um, but we, we actually, I don't want to put promises on this, but I think we still have um, some of the like 286 and, and you know, XT diagnostics. <laughs> and, you know, I wouldn't want to, I, maybe I could sell them for a fortune the way you guys are talking, but, <laughs> you know, this they, they might still be available. I mean, I wouldn't recommend the, you know, the postcards of the day, um, but, you know, that's, matter of fact, I don't even think I have those anymore. I think I got, I got those sold out a long time ago, but it's possible that um, we could bring up some of that old PC check and, you know, just give it a run, see what it does. I'd love to, yeah, to try it out with you guys. For sure. Yeah. Quite cool. Quite cool. Okay. Um, okay. Getting back to your question about how to test old hardware, though, it's, um, yeah. it's, it's relatively simple. There's, there's not an awful lot to go wrong with these, despite the fact of the age of them. Um, but generally speaking, you'll usually get a different color screen, like instead of a normal screen like this, you'll get sort of green screen and boot up, might tell you the RAM's bad and you'll reseat the RAM or you'll take the RAM expansions out, that sort of thing. Um, you might get a grey screen will tell you something else or a black screen will tell you something else altogether. And if it's one that's not working, the first thing, like I say, you sort of look towards is the battery, make sure the battery's not leaked. Just, they make such a mess. I've, I basically have spent the last 18 months on and off with, uh, a bit with Jason, a bit with our mutual friend, Tony, who volunteers at the Rectum Museum. He's basically spent a lot of time doing trace repairs on the Mega 4000 to try and bring it back to life. Um, and we've kind of got there. It's, I don't do the trace repair stuff. I don't do the board level stuff. And I would be very wary of trying to attempt it first on these old machines because they can be quirky at the best of times. But yeah, generally quite easy to sort of work your way through and, and test and whatnot. And as I say, stuff like the chips, the chips, you can get them for a couple of quid. So most of the chips you'll get sort of five, 10 quid max. You know, there's places like Amiga Kit. They've got tons of chips. You can pick them up through eBay. Just watch out for your Chinese fake chips, that sort of thing. But yeah, there's, there's a really good following. Generally, if you need parts, you can get them. If you need to get replacement boards, that's when it starts to get really, really expensive because even spares repair systems, not spend a few hundred quid on a spares repair system. You know, I think I bought my Amiga 4000 18 months ago and I paid 650 quid for that as a non-runner. 
Um, and I actually had to go and pick up myself from London. I didn't risk having it posted. I'm in Lincoln. So it was 150 mile trip. Wait, sorry, it's it's not not horrendous. It was an evening's work. No, that's pretty pretty good there. I'm going to say we've got a comment coming from Donald saying uh, there's a reason why they sent the rover to Mars powered by old computer tech. It's probably more um, uh, more to do with that they can't get hold of the parts, let alone the reliability for the new stuff. But uh, but yeah, I must admit, I'm going to say some of the older stuff, there's a lot less to go wrong. It's like an old car. It'll go forever. A new one, you can have a little sensor go on it and it'll stop the whole car driving. So uh, I can see Robert sticking his thumbs down there. No way, ice. So strongly disagree with that. <laughs> I I had the biggest garage to take four or five cars at home full of faulty kit, and if all that kit wasn't faulty, I would have Ferraris today. But you basically had to replace it, and I've never seen so much faulty kit back in the old days. I'd shed loads. That's why I don't take an interest in it now because I'm. <laughs> I'm cringing with the unreliability problems of the old stuff. The, the, the difference is these won't rust if you leave them in the room like the cars will. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, I don't I'm, think you've seen the, some the of our customers in houses. Is there, yeah. can, I just, can I just ask, Jason, uh, you'll yeah. probably know this, is there any distributors of retro gaming stuff and games still out there? Is there a specialist store that deals with really good stuff? I was going to say, whether it's a specialist store, itch.io seems to have quite a lot of people putting up various retro games and things, and we've got a lot of creators who started games back in the past are starting to bring out games. Um, If you start searching for new retro games, there are so many games coming out. It is absolutely crazy. There's games for the Spectrum. There's... That's very popular, as is the Amiga, the C64. There are games for the BBC, for, I believe, I saw some for the Oric, you know, um, even for the NES. So, you know, they are coming out. And it is incredible to find that you're getting new games come out, you know, even recently. Actually, if I just have a look on this here, you know, there's a handful of different games for... uh, spectrum next that's coming out as well you know so we've got different bits there that you know all of those brand new and people have updated so um absolutely incredible what you can find sorry just checking if there's any more under there but um yeah and i've had new getting games for the spectrum certainly through kickstarter because that's where a lot of people seem to start to to their ideas and see if it's popular and so we've had games from that um Another thing, I don't know if people have heard about, there's a Retrocade handheld gaming system. And basically it uses little cartridges with a number of games that are styled around a certain theme. And you buy those for £15 a time. So you can get new games and they keep releasing far more of these cartridges. So that's yet another way of grabbing more retro whilst you're on the go. So, you know, a great, great thing again. So there's, there's so many ways that people are now making money out of all this retro gear and selling stuff. You just have to be um, either looking for the items. You won't tend to stumble across it in the way of wandering into WH Smith's, for instance, that kind of thing. That doesn't happen um, as we used to. Um, Mm. So you've got to actually look on the websites and just try and search for retro. If you search for retro news, um, 
you will find so many games listed. So well worth a look. Cheers. Right, before we go on, uh, Sharon has got to get going in a few seconds. She's got a, uh, another call to do, I think, stateside, I think you said. So uh, she's probably going to be chasing down those old versions of Eurosoft's PC tech <laughs> somewhere along the line. You bet. Um, just to let you guys know, if you are a Tech for Techs member as well, uh, Eurosoft's actually updated their discount code in our Tech for Techs uh, discount area. So if you are a Tech for Techs member, just go onto the website, look on the announcements, and you'll find the, the discount uh, link, and you'll be able to find discount Eurosoft, as well as a few other different places like Synchro and uh, a few others as well, Cloud Dolphin and so forth. Okay. So have you got anything you'd like to add, Sharon, before you disappear? Nope. I think that's it. I've really got a nice lesson here tonight. And uh, yeah, I'm going to have to look at pulling out those old computers from in the garage at the office and uh, like yes. that old IBM. And I'll let you all know about that. <laughs> Thank you very much. That's no that's problem. Thanks for joining Thank us, you. Sharon. See you, right, you take care. Bye. Yeah. Bye. I, I, I think it's also, I, I was right. say, I think it's also important to... Uh, as well as all the, the desktops and the consoles, we've got the handheld stuff as well, which is always worth a bit of mention. Um, I think it was, yeah, it was Sega, wasn't it? I had the Game Gear, and then we got obviously the old uh, the Game Boy, the yeah. old Game Boy with the, the Tetris on it, <laughs> <laughs> and the one before those, and you had the the, the foldy ones, Game and Watch, yeah. that Game and Watch. Watch, yes, that's it. Yeah, yeah. And then Donkey Kong Junior and things like that. Yeah, Donkey Kong. Yeah. 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 Twenty pounds. I, I never okay, got yeah. into the handholds, to be honest with you. It was never something I got into. I was like going back home playing on the Mi Amiga or whatever. It was either that or nothing. Uh, always playing something like Syndicate or something along that lines. Um, Peter, do you have anything to do um, recently with any retro stuff, or is it all in the past now? Um, no, I mean, a, a couple of years ago, we uh, supported a couple that run a local charity called Pixels Against Cancer, and they had a, a local event, and we supported them with some prizes from some of the vendors, so a shout out to Gigabyte and Cooler Master for providing those, and um, it was a really great day, um, it was extremely busy, there was, um, they'd raised a lot of money for charity, um, we got to sort of get hands on with a lot of the older stuff, um, probably like some of the stuff Jason's got over at the Retro Computer Museum. Um, and it, it's just really enjoyable. I, th I think it's really important that everything we have today is built on the foundations of what came before. And, and a lot of the fundamentals are the same. So understanding the older stuff really helps with even the modern computing. So well, I really enjoy it. Yeah, that sounds pretty good. And sometimes uh, studying the old stuff, as you say, can prepare you for the new stuff. And it's the same with, well, lessons in history and stuff as well. Uh, uh, learn from the past uh, is the sort of the best way of putting it. Right, Ben and Jason, do you have something to show us on these computers you've got in your backgrounds or are they just there for display? Well, let Ben go first. I'm sure he will be very keen to show off some of the oh. games he's got there. Oh, lovely. Yeah. Favorite, I've got a couple of games here, actually. I can show you one or another. Um, I could probably show you both if you want. But, um, yeah, the, the old Amiga 1000 here, set up with uh, one of the real old classics, Stunt Car Racer. It was uh, basically you had this old stunt car, rag it around the track as fast as you could, don't fall off and smash your chassis. And it was a cracking bit of kit in the day. Um, I apologise if the screen quality is not the best. You might be getting a bit of flickering because of the refresh rate. It's quite poor on these older screens, but 
That's something I don't miss is watching TV reports and news reports when they used to point the cameras at the uh, old screens and they'd all flicker everywhere. Yeah, we had the old stock car racer and you basically had to try and drag your car around the track as fast as you could. Um, as fast as you could was <laughs> running at 7 megahertz, of course, which wasn't very good. Well, it was good in the day, but it's a bit jerky in a 7 megahertz system. How many frames per second are we doing? Is this going to compare to like the new game? What are doing three hundred frames per second, or are we talking more like single digits here? No, no, it's, it's quite quite a good sort of resolution and quite a decent frame rate for what it was. But I have to say, you run it on maybe fifteen hundred, it'd be so much faster because that's got a twenty-eight megahertz accelerator in it. But, here, guys, if we don't get any video cards soon, that's the games that we'll be playing. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but there you have it. That's that's stunt car racer. Basically, don't follow the track; you'll smash your car up, like so. I remember. <laughs> I remember that. Was that also on the '64 as well? That was in the '64. It wasn't as good graphics, but it was on the '64. Yeah. Yeah, I remember it now. So yeah, that's anyway, that, brings, that brings back memory playing that game for hours and hours and hours. And then, if you go to like the Mega Fifteen Hundred, that's how it sort of works. You got the. Uh, Everyone remembers old Space Invaders and Asteroids, so it's good to try and get this into the port. This is the accelerated one, so this is a nice quick machine. And you got the Space Invaders. It's, it's a Space Invaders clone, you get all your different power-ups in that. Looks like Galaxy. What are you using there? Uh, that's the Lux Glaga it's called. But this was it back in the days of proper retro. That's it. So, how many, how many colours on the screen are we displaying there? Was it about 16 or something? Eight? Uh, Jason, you'll probably know this one. Is it 256 colours out of, or is it 32? Yeah. I was going to say that it depends on what palette they wanted to use. So that I think it was up to 256, but generally it was 1632 palette, I think, generally used. So. Yeah, that was it, because you had the different yeah. chipsets. You had, this one runs on the original chipset, or the Hans chipset, and then you had the yeah. 1200 and the 4000 on the ADA chipset, which is, uh, I think that was more, I can't remember how many that was now, but that was like a palette of 16.7 million colours. Uh, yes, that's it. But the thing is, the, the games, like we said before, they had to be made to be playable because they didn't have a huge amount of space. Because when you look at the size of disc that they had to fit on, it was 880k. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> that, no, that was it. And so to even go to two discs, it was obviously extra expense for the extra discs. So people tried to create the game and fit it on as few discs as possible. So good code and good gameplay. That was what it was all about. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, like I say, this machine's got a 540 meg hard drive in it, which sounds absolutely titchy compared to nowadays, and it absolutely is. But you can sort of fill that. It took ages and ages, thousands, thousands. Of absolutely tons of games onto them, you know. It's, um, My first hard drive was actually 20 meg. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Tiny, yeah. How times have changed. Now we're looking at, what, I think 18 terabyte, 20 terabyte now you can get? So. Yes, that's it. The latest news I saw the other day, yeah. That's it. I mean, it, it, it always makes me laugh when you sort of look at the RAM expansions and stuff like that. This card in the front here is a 256 kilobyte RAM expansion. <laughs> and you look, you look, you look, you look, 
eight gigabyte laptop sticker arms with that size, and this whole panel here was two five six kilobytes. Nice. That's so, uh, the boost it, for the boost it gave. <laughs> Double the memory up to five twelve, but like I say, put an extra four meg. This little uh, card on the size of an extra four megabytes. So. And and that wouldn't have been cheap either. <laughs> no, 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 for sure. It was yeah. an optional extra at the time. Um, probably about £150 at the time, I imagine. Yeah, yeah, but the Mega 1000s, I have to say, are one of the nicest models you can get because when you take the top lid off, you'll know this, Jason, you take the top lid off and all the designers' names are etched into the plastic yeah. on the underside. So it's a bit of a, because it was the first model, It's uh, people like them for that, basically. Do you get the same sort of issue with your old um, stuff like the Amigas when you upgrade them where obviously more RAM and stuff like they did with the PCs where you had to have the turbo button? A lot of people thought the turbo button was there to make it go faster, but it was actually there to make it go slower, slower so the games wouldn't actually run too fast. Do you get the similar sort of thing on the Amigas if you upgrade them too much? Yes, yes for sure. I, I don't know how it is for you, Jason, the terrible fire if that throttles it back uh, appropriately. Um Certainly, in, in general, I've not been too bad on real hardware. Um, there's certain games which just haven't been programmed with anything other. They, they've basically relied on the clock rate of yep. the machine. Mm -hmm. And so they haven't done any extra programming. Once you've progressed past that level, most people have put something in that checks what it's running at and divides it accordingly so that the yep. game then runs properly. So there are those few that escape. Um, funny enough, I do have a Raspberry Pi 400, which I did stick a great um, Amiga image that I picked up on there. And one of the games, North and South, which is a game I've always loved, it oh, plays so level. fast that this, there's a part where you run across a train. And yeah. it takes all of about two seconds from beginning to end, and it's finished on the emulator. <laughs> it, it's running far too fast for what it is. It just doesn't work. And that is where one of the problems comes in of the, of the emulation. So unless you want to start moving into the FPGA type things and um, look at those instead, and then you can actually have a proper recreation of the Amiga hardware within that chip. So yeah. that's when it becomes different. Hmm. Certainly I have that sort of problem with what you're saying about clock cycles and the 1500, because that's got the accelerator on it. Um, there's a little toggle switch. You can flick the accelerator off, but a game like Syndicate, you run it on 7 megahertz and it's, it runs at a snail's pace. You run it at 28 megahertz and it's far too fast to be playable. So usually if I play Syndicate, I'll play it on my Mega 1200, which is 14 megahertz. It's a nice level balance. <laughs> yeah. Now, I remember, I remember having that issue um, in the early days of Windows 3.1, things just going way too fast. Sometimes you could install stuff on the old, really old stuff, but when you actually got around to playing it, it was just like totally unplayable because a lot of stuff, especially on the early Windows machine, it wasn't actually playing it in Windows. You had to load it up in DOS or something like that for it to actually work, and obviously it didn't have much in the way of uh, controls of the speed and stuff. So, yeah. Right. Do you have anything to show us what you've got on your screen, um, Jason? Uh, because we're well, starting to push time. Yes, we are unaware. Obviously, I've got, um, I'm sure you've noticed this big screen here. This is running on an original Xbox. Um, if you actually look around, this is, again, something that's great from the updates that have come out from people. There is actually now an HDMI cable from the video out. So that's straight into an HDMI on the TV running also at 720p so the xbox i've changed over and put a uh, another hard drive in it um 
made it a bigger hard drive, which there's a few tricks and things to be able to flash it and do. But that has now got virtually every single game from Xbox available on there. So you can do things like that if you want them and have them. Um, so that's got tons of stuff, and that's why that's there. But it, I'm amazed at how good that machine is. And when you think it's sort of a, I think it's 733 megahertz, the processor, or around 800. And you think back to a PC, it wouldn't have been able to play games anywhere near how this Xbox does it. So that's why I, I put that on just to be able to talk about that. And obviously here, um, I've got myself as close as I can to a four by three flat screen monitor because I was limited in space on this wall. But I do back here have a proper monitor, as you'll see, for being able to go fully old school if I want to. Um, but yeah, an EGC D32, I've got the Xbox, I've got Commodore 64, my 1200 underneath, and a Atari 800XL and an Electron that are all sat here, we're just ready to go. So um, yeah, very happy with all of those. And it's just something that once you start collecting it, it just it's nice now to be able to go through. And like I say, I've, I've picked up the, the Dreamcast, which I've never played before. So that was really great fun just to be able to pick one of those up for, you know, less than £100. You can get a very good condition one, play that. And it's just great being able to get back on and learn or not learn, but experience these games that everyone else, a lot of other people have had chance to do. Whereas I stuck to the computers and never really had that option when I was younger. Is that a C2N that you've got between the two monitors, is it? The, the com oh, sorry, the down here? Is that what you call a C2N, the cassette recorder? Yes, sorry, here, yes. Yeah. Sorry, I haven't seen one of them in a long time. <laughs> yeah, it's, and it's quite funny having, yeah, I've got the Atari 1050 disk drive and the um, 1010 tape drive i have actually tested both of them as well and they all do still work so that's a, again just something great that the old stuff somehow keeps going that's pretty, pretty good so can i just ask pete what is that on your desk to your over your left shoulder uh it's a piecade it's like a, a kit you buy <clears> a <throat> flat pack with the screen and you add a raspberry pi in it um, with an sd card and you can run retro pi on it So you buy it as a kit. Oh, I've just rebooted it. <laughs> and then you just add a, add a Raspberry Pi in the back here. Um, if you, They're good if you've not got loads of time in your hands to, to build um, you know, it from scratch. Um, yeah, they're, they're pretty cool. Well, it's the first time I've got it out since we moved last year. Um, but yeah, they're, they're really cool. I like that. I'm going to get one. Yeah, I like that. Mm. They do an 8-inch and a 10-inch screen version. I like the 8-inch because um, you can have the board around it. looks a bit more authentic, I think. Cool. That's interesting. Like that. well, there's a lot of retro stuff and a lot of stuff what what's new, what's supposed to look retro and so forth, which uh, brings back some of the old games and stuff. Right, before we finish the show, because we're well, we're nearly an hour and a half in, um, let's have a quick round. What was your favourite computer console ever? I'll start with Robert. Ah, come to me last. Uh, favorite console ever. Uh, oh, that's a tough one. I'll tell you what, it's probably not my favorite, but it intrigued me. Was a Vectrex. There you go. Okay, you know what Vectrex was 
I know the Vectrex, they are fantastic machines. Yeah. yeah. It was it, it was like a, Expect a, a base poster on its side and yeah. it had a screen and it was black and white and you put plastic uh, filters so it would be yellow or green or blue and they were all vector lines and, yeah, we used to hire it from the video shop for the weekend for perhaps £10 wow. and you'd get five games and you bring it back on the Monday morning. So <laughs> not the best, but my favourite. That's pretty well. Let's go on to Peter. What was your favourite uh, from the past? Oh, it's <clears> difficult. <throat> um, I have to say my Amiga 500. That was our my, my first real home family computer, which I sort of adopted um, and, and stole from the rest of the family. But um, <laughs> yeah, I had the Amiga 500 with the extra 512K expansion pack on it. The, the Philips CM8833-2 monitor, I think it was. Uh, an, ex an, an extra external yeah. floppy drive. So if you had a, a two-disc game, you could pop both those discs in there. Um, it, you had these two-disc games where the intro would be the first disc, the actual game would be on the second disc. And um, yeah, that, that's my absolute favourite computer ever, I think. My Amiga 500. Yeah, I must agree. That's also my favourite one as well. Um, even though BBC was the first one, but the Amiga was mine, especially especially when these um, you got the Bullfrog games. Uh, was Bullfrog? Bullfrog, yeah. Um, so it was uh, like your Populous and stuff like that, Dungeon Keeper and stuff like that. I really got into those sort of games, and then obviously Syndicate and a few other things uh, down the route. I'm guessing Ben's is going to be an Amiga, but go on then, Ben, tell us, am I right? Oh, it was a Spectrum. Oh, okay. I was totally wrong. No, 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 it's definitely the Amiga 1200. It's what got me into the retro scene. What, what is now the retro scene, but it's still quite modern. <laughs> well, that's it. What about yourself, Jason? I'd have to say the Amiga 1200. I had the 500, and then, but the 1200 was just more expandable. It was more of everything, and it, it felt like it was never-ending, that computer, so... That was my favourite, and it lasted me for ages. And yeah, I never got around to using the 1200. Or 500 was the, well, the 500 with all the extra bits on it. Uh, I think we added hard drive memory and all that and so forth um, to it. Um, but, yeah, um, I always wanted a 1200 because when they brought the games out and stuff, they always came out on 1200 first, and then you got them on the 500, mm -hmm. and it was like a cut-down version of it, or the graphics weren't as good or something. But, yeah, uh, what a about you, Ian, what was your favourite console PC or whatever of the past? Uh, for computers, C64, hands down. It's the only one I had. I never was lucky enough to get the Amiga. And by the time I could afford to buy myself an Amiga, I was then into Sega Genesis, um, Super NES. Um, so I'd say C64 computer and probably, I'd probably say the Dreamcast for console. Right, okay. And before we finish it off, last one, favourite game. Oh. Go to you, Robert. Do you have a favourite game? Oh. First one comes the to you. The Rain Over Moscow and Jet Set Willy. Right, okay. I remember that. Go on, <laughs> Peter. Oh, there can't be one. There can't be one. Uh <laughs> Monkey Island, Speedball 2, Xenon Mega Blast, um, any sensible game, uh, any Bitmap Brothers game, Magic Pockets, all those games, they're all fantastic. You're bringing back some memories there. What about you, Ben? I'll give you two, not just one, but two. Bubble Bubble and The Settlers. 
Oh, Settlers. I forgot all about that one. Yeah, I did I like Settlers. I as well. I, sh- I could have shown it you. Yeah. Oh, dear. Um, but, yeah, <laughs> Settlers. I always re- the first one, I always, I always preferred the first one, then all the sequels. I don't know why, yeah, but um, it just seemed better. What about you, Jason? What, what, what's your favourite? Well, I'm actually going back. I think this is because it's some of the first games that I played, and I, they just had such an impact on me. Manic Miner or Jetpack, and I'm kind of between those two. Oh, Jetpack. Yeah. They're just both incredible games and just really blew me away for what they gave. And, of course, everything's continued, and we have wonderful, wonderful stuff in the new consoles and updated computers and everything else. But, yeah, I just love those games. And what about you, Ian? What was your favourite of the past? Uh, there's so many, but I'd say... For sentiment, for 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 friendship wise, and still to this day, is Bubble Bobble, um, Speedball Two. Um, I yeah. played that to death, um, and I liked all the game series, like the winter games, summer games, and stuff. Um, but yeah, Bubble Bobble. Yeah, it's just yeah, on whatever you play it on, it's so good. That's pretty good. Right, guys, we're going to have to call it. I know, it, I think we've gone on uh, a little bit too long, I think, but uh, if anyone's interested in retro computers or anything like that, make sure you have a look at uh, the Retro Computer Museum. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's a charity. So uh, can you do- donate on the yes. website? Um, yeah, um, so if anyone wants to donate um, on the website. Yes, we do have a donate button from there because, of course, we've been close with COVID, so we've been relying completely on uh, donations for things to keep us going. Um, so we've we've just had just we've got just giving basically attached onto the, the web page. So if anyone is able to donate anything, that really would be fantastic and just keep us alive. And while I've got, I've got the opportunity, I'll mention the we've been very very lucky to have. A number of retro style musicians, composers, however you'd like to say it, people who've programmed games. I think we've even got one guy who actually did some of the Tomb Raider music. So, and they've donated tracks to us, and we've put out a 51 track 3D set of music, which can be bought for £25 um, from blankcanvascharity.uk. So, that all the proceeds go to the Computer Museum. Retro Computer Museum. So, if you want to have a look at that, that would be brilliant. And please do it. And all the music I bought it, and it sounds fantastic. So, <laughs> there we go. So we've got the the address for that on the screen at the moment. So that's blank. Sorry, start again. Blank canvas charity uk um also you've got the retro computer museum.co.uk and then you've got pixel fix as well um so you'll get to see jason or at least hear him should i hear say uh, is it every week yes it is every week any any specific yeah. day you release them or is as it I say, usually a monday and we're up monday. to 42 episodes i believe now so that's good Pretty, pretty good going then. Uh, you're outnumbering us at the moment, but uh, we'll, we'll catch up. Um, but there we go. So, right, I think that's going to be it for tonight then, guys. So I'd like to thank everyone, obviously, who's been a guest host on tonight. So thank you, Ben, Ian, Peter, Robert, Sharon, who's unfortunately left us. I don't mean that in a bad way, but she <laughs> had a phone call. Uh, and Jason as well. Um, let's put uh that's it yep that's all for the news for today so i would like to make sure 
that you remember to, well, if you're not in Tech for Text, you go to the Tech for Text website, which is techfortext.co.uk forward slash join, and you can join over 1,100 members just like you that can give you free business or tech advice. And did I say it's totally free to join with no membership fees or cost to you? You'll even get a chance to talk to Ben about retro stuff if you really want to. So again, that's for anyone who's an independent trader, store owner, MSP, tech, vendor or distributor and again that is techfortechs.co.uk forward slash join so when you do go on to join make sure you put your web address and fill the questions in if you do not we won't let you in it's as simple as that we let, uh, we let less people in uh, than actually get in uh, because obviously they don't fill the questions in so again thanks for watching and thanks for supporting local independent businesses good night everyone